Don't let diaper rash come between you and your baby. Diaper rash can be one of the worst experiences your little one has to go through. Keeping their delicate skin healthy and happy shouldn't require a spatula to apply thick and goopy treatments that can be just as irritating and uncomfortable. When my oldest was little, she would get the worst diaper rash. It left me feeling so desperate to help her while also wanting something gentle on her skin. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide. It was developed by a mom who is also a doctor. When she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash, she let nothing get in her way. You can use just a small amount of Dr. Mom Butt Balm to help soothe your baby's skin and feel confident that you are making the right choice. Dr. Mom is committed to providing an ultra-premium formula for moms that won't settle when it comes to their little ones. Soothe and restore with active ingredients being dimethicone and petrolatum. You can find more about Dr. Mom Butt Balm at drmombuttbalm.com or find it on Amazon or walmart.com. Hello, hello. It is Wednesday and we have another VBAC story for you today. Our VBAC storyteller is Riley. So welcome, Riley, to the show. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. And she is from Alabama. So if there are any Alabama listeners out there, listen up because she definitely has a great story. And I feel like there's something special about her, or I should say unique, about her story. And that is the time between birth and pregnancy. And that is something that's really big in the VBAC world. We get a lot of questions about it. And unfortunately, we have a lot of providers naysaying VBAC and when there's a close duration, right? And I'm sure, Riley, you're going to tell us all about what type of stuff you know people said to you. <laughs> But we're going to talk about that at the end as well, because we do have a lot of people who have a close duration in pregnancy, um, um, birth and pregnancy. And so, yeah, so we're going to be talking about that. But of course, we have a review of the week. And so I want to make sure to read that review. And this review is on Apple Podcasts and it's from um, Rock Frey, Rock Frey. And it says, getting VBAC ready. This podcast has been inspiring and motivational to me as I prepare for a VBAC with my fourth baby. Ooh, that's awesome. Listening to each of these stories and realizing that through listening, I am learning how to advocate for myself and my family and have been a true, it's been a true blessing. Thank you. Well, thank you, Rock Frey. And I am with you. I feel like one of the best things about this podcast is truly learning how to advocate for yourself. And that comes with getting educated, right? We have to educate ourselves in order to advocate for ourselves because if we don't know how to, to, you know, what we're advocating for and we don't know the stats and the facts and the risks and all of that stuff, it's hard to advocate because we're like, well, I don't know any better. I don't know any better. So yeah, if you guys are also wanting to learn more about VBAC and all of the stats and facts, we also have a VBAC course. So if you guys didn't know, we have a parents and a birth worker course, and you can find that at the vbacklink.com slash courses. You are tuned into the VBAC Link podcast with Megan Heaton, who is a longtime doula and VBAC mom herself, here to help you get inspired for birth after having had a C-section. Along with this podcast, the VBAC Link offers blogs, resources, and a comprehensive VBAC course for both parents preparing for birth and doulas wanting to take their VBAC education to the next level. 
Be sure to follow Megan and her team on all social media platforms for even more. Although these podcast episodes are VBAC specific, it is encouraged for all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a C-section from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here is your host, Megan. Hey everyone, this is Megan. Preparing for my VBA2C was pretty lonely at times. This is why I, along with Julie, created a Facebook community for all the parents preparing for their VBACs. You can find the link to the community in the episode notes today, or head over to facebook.com and search the VBAC link community. This is our safe space to share our stories, tips, and advice on how to achieve a VBAC and ask each other questions. Just remember, studies show 60 to 80% of people who attempt a VBAC will be successful. We're here for each other on this journey. To join, go over to facebook.com and search the VBAC link community and start feeling the love and support today. Okay, Riley, thank you so much for being here. Yes, I'm so excited. I'm excited too. I would love to turn the time over to you. I know both of your stories are vastly different and, and you know, everybody's stories are usually different, but I would <laughs> love to know and have you share your stories. So my name is Raleigh. Um, like you said, I do live in Alabama. Um, my husband and I will have been married for three years this coming May. We are practicing Catholics and fully open to life. Um, hence the two kids close together. I love um, it. We have been blessed with two kids this past two years of marriage. So one kid one year and another kid the next. So um, I'm a stay-at-home mom. My son is 18 months old and my daughter is four months old right now. So very busy <laughs> time of my Very life. busy, yes. <laughs> so um, five months after we were married, I found out I was pregnant. I was finishing up college and hadn't quite graduated yet. I had no knowledge of pregnancy, birth, you know, hospital interventions. That wasn't a term in my work, in my vocabulary at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I just didn't really know much about it. I was very thankful to have a sweet cousin during my first pregnancy who basically walked me through and she helped me um, know kind of what to expect, but I still didn't know how much of an advocate that I was going to have to be for myself. Yeah. Um, so I learned so much going through that first pregnancy. Some knowledge I gained through bad experiences and then some knowledge was just, you know, research topics that I would pop up and I would look up. So the main thing I learned from my first pregnancy was that I was just way too compliant. For example, I mean, I learned from that you can say no to cervical checks. Yes. That was a very small thing, it seems like, to some people. But that is something that some first-time mamas just really don't know anything about. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've learned that. And you can choose whether or not you get all the recommended vaccines during pregnancy. Um, You can also choose small things like whether or not you want to labor in the hospital gown or if you want to wear your own clothes. Um, So you can say that you're going to move during labor instead of laying in the bed the entire time, which happened to me. We'll get to. All of this might sound like common knowledge, but it isn't for everyone, especially those first-time mamas, like I said, who don't have a lot of outside resources Mm -hmm. other than the hospital staff, which is not always the best resource. I agree. (laughs) And that is something that I, I would love to just carry on. A comment from that is this podcast you know, it is very VBAC specific, like people wanting to have a vaginal 
birth after cesarean and learning the things. But I feel like this podcast really would benefit everybody, especially first time moms learning about, like you said, like interventions. It like that wasn't even in your vocabulary. You're like, what? Yeah. You know? And so walking through this podcast and learning what interventions can maybe lead to a cesarean or how certain situations could lead to a cesarean or what you can and can't do. Right. And like you said, like you are your own advocate and you can say no to anything, anything. And Riley, you're not the only one that was very just, okay, go with the Mm -hmm. flow. Yeah. Guess what? I was too. So many of these listeners were very just, okay, compliant. I'll, mm-hmm. You say that you know better than I do, right? Like, yes. they go to medical school and <laughs> yes. school. And, and again, like you said, it's not always the best resource mm-hmm. to have just that information. There may be a lot of information outside of exactly what they're giving you. So I yes. love that you said that. I'm always like my friends who first time mamas, I'm like just trying to fill them with all the knowledge because it's almost like for your first birth, you want to prevent that cesarean. Like that's almost how the interventions have become, like how bad it's gotten. And I'm just always in my mind like, please, you know, be able to have your first baby vaginally and not have a cesarean. Yeah, so, let's let's get these rates down. And it starts yes. with not having a cesarean the first time. Yes. Assuming you don't want one. We know some people do and they have reasons why and that's totally fine. But yeah, like yeah. getting this rate down would be great. Mm-hmm. So to continue, uh, my first pregnancy was very normal. No complications. Uh, my son's due date was estimated for the end of June, which is another big thing that doctors put, they put a lot of pressure on that due date. And so when you're that first time mama, you're like, you're waiting for that day. And when that day comes, like you feel like something's wrong and it's like a lot of pressure. And so my husband and I had in our minds that baby boy would be in our arms mid to late June. Like it was just a lot of pressure on that due date. And, um, when the big day and like my mom, she had me on my due date. So it was like these people I was surrounded with, it was kind of like, okay, we're waiting on the due date, you know? Yes. And we have um, a VBAC, we have a VBAC link podcast uh, follower that said, as much as I was okay with going over my due date, it was the daily pressure that got to me. Yes. Right. And having that so pressure, much pressure. pregnancy doesn't help us go into labor. No, it doesn't. So when the due date came and nothing happened, we were a bit surprised um, because most providers, like I said, put lots of pressure on having the babies on that date or very, very close to that date. Yep. So once the due date had passed, we began to get slot pressure for an induction. No reason other than I'd passed my due date. And um, we knew we wanted to wait for my body to go into labor naturally if possible. Like that was our goal. And so at 41 weeks, my water broke and I was having no contractions. So just water broke, no pain or anything with that. And regretfully, my husband and I packed it up and headed to the hospital. And that was just our gut feeling. We called the nurses and they told us to head there. And um, if I were to do it again, that pregnancy in that time frame, I would definitely wait at home longer and just labor at home and wait on those contractions to come and not go. Even if your water breaks, you're going to be fine. (laughs) You're going to be fine. And, And if your water breaks, take a quick note. Let's Let's run through. How am I feeling? Do I feel like I have a fever? Do I feel like something's wrong? Is there a lot of meconium on the ground? Yeah. Like you can run through this checklist and say, okay, everything's okay. I feel great. Baby's moving. Everything's great. 
Yes. You know, do a, do a mindful checklist. Yeah. So we packed it up and headed to the hospital. We only had like a 20 minute drive. So we got there pretty quick. So then once we entered, it was just the cascade of interventions. As soon as I walked in, my mindset was going to be, you know, active during labor, walk around the hospital room, be able to get in positions I want. Soon as I walked in the door, they asked me to take my clothes off, get into a hospital gown and get into the hospital bed. And I asked if I could, because I, this might be TMI, but I had put a diaper on because it was most comfortable for me. Yeah. Because my water had broke. And after water breaks, I mean, if you don't you know, just you, kinda, <laughs> you need a little something down there. Yeah, <laughs> if you're you going to walk around. Yes, you do. And um, that was my plan. And so they wanted me to strip down and just get in the bed. And so I asked, you know, if I could do what I wanted. And they basically gave me a stern no because of infection. And can I, and, and like, let's just stop right there. How does infection come into removing your clothes or not removing your clothes yeah. or and removing a, a like diaper walking or around, you know, yeah. I'm sorry, but vaginas are not vacuums. <laughs> they don't just yeah. suck up infection. Things have to be inserted yes. into them. Yes. So you wearing a diaper or a pad is not. Yeah. Not very much logic went into that. I digress. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So that was our first, I call it intervention because Uh it was, I mean, it's very small putting a hospital gown on, but it was the first one of many. But for you, it was enough. It was an intervention in the way of you were like, well, wait, that's not what I want to do. Yeah. And then you weren't given, you didn't, you didn't feel at the time, right? Because we didn't know you weren't given an option. Oh, yeah, yeah, you can go ahead and where you, you, you know, it's just like, mm-hmm. no. And that's like, you know, number one thing that starts making my comfort level go down. Yeah. Like during exactly. labor, you need to be as comfortable as possible. Yes. Take your, <clears throat> yeah. You're, you're becoming very vulnerable in that moment. Yeah. I later realized that that risk of infection, like we said, is very low. And after your water breaks, walking around is not going to cause infection. <laughs> It was a very slippery slope after that. I was put on a time clock due to my water breaking. So the doctor wanted the baby out in 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, I really had no knowledge about that. I was just like, okay, staring at this clock in the wall. and like, man, these 24 hours, I mean, it's, you know, it happens fast. It really does. And yeah. like the hours go by and like, it's not happening like the doctor wants it to. And I'm like, you know, getting nervous. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, I didn't really want to use Pitocin. But that was um, something that he wanted to do. And so we compromised. And I was like, as long as you do it at a very, very, very low dose and kind of do it very slowly. And so he started the Pitocin. And at this point, I'm still bedridden. They will not even let me get up to go to the bathroom. They gave me a bedpan. crazy. And like the bathroom was literally right there. But it's just like. I mean, I asked if I could go to the bathroom. I'm like, oh, no, we'll bring you a bedpan. And I'm like, that's not what I want. I want to get up and move. Yeah. Yeah. So the contractions were not fun stuck in the bed on Pitocin. Like Pitocin contractions are not fun, period. But if you get to walk around with them, I feel like you can kind of cope with them. But being stuck on your back in the bed, it's just like you can't really cope anyway doing that position. So then I ended up asking for an epidural because I was not coping well in the bed with those potassium contractions. And then, yes. Fast forward to time to push and the doctor told the nurses to pull the epidural. 
no questions asked, nothing like, it was almost like I wasn't in the room and he was just talking and giving the nurses orders. Um, wow. He had came in a few times and asked me if I was still in pressure and I always told him, no, not really, no. Like I knew when my contractions were coming, but no, I'm not feeling it in pressure. Well, he didn't like that answer. And he told the nurses to pull the epidural and it was a weird feeling in the room. Uh, he walked out and the nurses kind of turned the epidural monitor around and they told me, they said, we'll leave it in as long as we can. Like they were against the doctor and they said, we're going to just watch for him down the hallway. And <laughs> when he comes back, we'll pull it and we'll let you have it for as long as possible. He's like, <laughs> they're like, he does this to everybody. What? <laughs> and I was like, okay, thank you. <laughs> and so um, anyway, by the time he got back, they pulled it without my consent and it was supposed to last for a couple hours it probably lasted 30 minutes and then I could feel everything everything <clears throat> and that's a huge change going from you yes. know that medication to nothing yes so I pushed for over an hour until I heard the words no mother wants to hear and that was stop pushing and he was staring at the monitor and eventually it felt like an eternity but he eventually told me what was going on and he said that the baby's heart rate was spiking every time I would push. And so even though my body was wanting to push, he was like telling me, no, no, don't push. And so he eventually announced that we're going to do an emergency cesarean. And my mom and husband were there. And so my husband started suiting up to go to the OR for the cesarean. And the anesthesiologist had to come back to push the epidural back because I didn't have it anymore and so she was trying to do that and she got tears in her eyes and she was like I don't think it's working and I was like yeah I can feel like the washcloths and everything you're putting on my legs I can feel everything and she was like you're gonna have to be intubated and your husband or mom nobody can go back there with you you have to go by yourself and so I was like, okay, well, let's just get this show on the road if this is what we're doing because I'm in so much pain. I'm tired of talking about it, you know. Yeah. And so they rolled me back there by myself and, you know, did I waited for a minute and then they put me under. And then I basically woke up in like a closet-like room without baby, without my husband, just oh. by myself. And I was crying and I was like, where's my baby? And like the doctor's standing over me and he's like, tells me how big my baby is or something. I had a decently big baby, like nine twelve, And so it was just very traumatic. All the interventions and then waking up without my baby and having this emergency surgery, not getting to be awake when my baby was born, missing all the first times. They went ahead and did all the stuff without me. I didn't meet him until he was like already two hours old. Because that took, that's how long it took me to wake up and everything. So my husband um, was there with a baby. Can I ask how long from the time where he was like, your baby's heart rate's dripping, dropping, we're going to have to do a cesarean to you going in and having a cesarean? Like how long from when he announced I was having it? Yeah. Because uh, he mentioned it was an emergency, but I was just curious because it seemed like a lot of stuff had happened leading up. Yeah. Um, it was pretty quick and wasn't like... It wasn't like everybody was like rushing around and like getting me back there really fast, but it was like, okay, emergency cesarean. And then they tried the epidural. That's what kind of took a little bit of time. And yeah. then, I mean, maybe like, I would say maybe an hour. Oh, wow. Yeah. Maybe I, I'm wrong. I, 
I'm always, yeah, no, I'm always so curious um, when providers say an emergency cesarean. Yeah. And then this emergency takes so much time. Like emergency yeah. is quick. And so I was just yeah. always like saying all these things. I'm like, oh. Like I guess if it really would have been an emergency, they wouldn't have tried the epidural since I no. didn't have it. Yeah. And they would have just taken me straight back there and, and put me yes. under. And yeah. But I, but but we hear emergency in our reports and we and they're told us emergency and we get scared. Right. Yeah. Because emergency is a very big word. Yes. Um, yeah. So okay, sorry, keep going. Anyway, I'm this. Um, that is basically the end of my first story. So that was just very traumatic. But then, you know, we're still open to life. So we're not going to, you know, close that off. Yeah. And um, we... I was also kicked out of my six-week postpartum appointment, so I never really got to that postpartum when they even say, you know, like, wait a certain amount of time. So, I never encountered that mm-hmm. um, because it was just an odd situation. I just didn't go to it. So, we just, you know, did our thing. We had our baby, and then we are just like, we're just going to go with it and see what happens. And so, we actually got pregnant five months after having my son. So, something about the five months time frame for us but um I knew if initially that I wanted to have a vaginal birth I had so many things running through my head when I was staring at that pregnancy test the first thing I knew that I wanted to do was change providers I knew that if I was going to plan for a VBAC that I needed not just someone who was tolerant but someone who was going to be completely on board with my VBAC I didn't want any like rolling eyes and like, you know, like I wanted to have, you know, be on the same page. I asked friends and family and finally found one. The instant we met, I knew she was the perfect fit for us. I had a pretty normal pregnancy once again, aside from some tachycardia that lingered and would not go away. In addition to changing providers, I also knew that I wanted to write a very detailed birth plan, which I did not do in my first pregnancy of all my wishes and everything that I wanted. I talked this over with my provider at the end of the pregnancy and she had no reservations with anything. At around 30-ish weeks, she mentioned me getting a doula and I didn't really know everything a doula entailed. So I did some research and talked it over with my husband. And at 37 weeks, we decided to hire a doula. (laughs) I love it. I love it. It's never too late until the baby's born, right? To hire a birth doula, it's never too late until you've had a baby. It was definitely towards the end, but we got her in and we were eagerly awaiting those contractions. Um, I had never felt that slow progression of early labor because with my first, like I said, just my water broke with no contractions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, finally at 40 and three, so she came a little bit earlier. I had the smallest contractions at 4 a.m. They kept coming at random times, then around lunch and The new provider we chose is a much longer drive. She's about 45 minutes away. So we we did keep that in mind. Around lunch, a little, the contractions were a little stronger, much more regular. After nine hours of laboring at home, we headed to the hospital. Um, I had very regular contractions on our 45 minute drive there. And then we arrived and finally got admitted to a room after going through triage. I was dilated to about a five and I was at negative one station and 90% effaced. So I was in pretty good. Yeah, really great progress. Um, I labored in all the positions that felt most comfortable to me, never being forced to be in the bed. 
I was even able to get in the shower at one point at 15 hours. After 15 hours of laboring, including that early stage at home, I was just exhausted and began to have back labor. And I was just contemplating an epidural because I was just so tired of laboring. And after that, after getting the epidural, I was able to rest a bit until it was time to push. And um, I do think the epidural probably prolonged my labor a bit. I'm just going to throw that out there. Like, mm-hmm. it's kind of a win-lose situation. Like, you get some rest and feel, you know, a little bit better time for pushing. But then it's like you look back on it and you think, did the epidural really prolong those extra, you know, two, three hours? Mm-hmm. So, um, I was given a lot epidural, which was such a blessing. Um, if you don't know what that is, you can ask for a lot epidural. And I would suggest that to anybody wanting to get one because it gives you the ability to feel all the contractions and to feel the pressure as well. And that is such a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was actually able with my epidural to get in different positions for the baby and to also push on my own and not have to be coached in the countdown and all that. Like I was able to just feel my body and know what was happening. My provider and doula teamed together and gave me all sorts of positions to try and help labor the baby down three hours <laughs> of pushing <laughs> and a busted blood vessel in my eye later. Oh. The baby was finally born. Um, she was healthy and I had no complications afterwards and I was like, it actually happened. <laughs> I did it. Yeah, I um, did. Yes. <laughs> I achieved my feedback that I desired for those whole nine months. And this story wouldn't be complete if I didn't mention all the rosaries, novenas, prayers said in preparation for this birth. Um, we knew our baby's name pretty early on. We chose to name her after two saints, St. Sylvia and St. Anne. Both of these saints really helped us through the entire pregnancy. The Blessed Virgin Mary and God especially were there every step of the way, hearing all our prayers and knowing that they would be answered in God's own time. Even when I was getting anxious around the estimated due date, he knew that three days later, I would have my successful, (laughs) redemptive, holy V back. Thanks be to God. Oh my gosh, I love it. I love it. And you talked about blood vessels that bursting in your eyes. Sometimes that happens. <laughs> so it does happen. It does happen. We have to try try to avoid it, but sometimes it happens. Yes. Oh well, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I love it, and I would love to talk about. So you guys did, you know, five month the five month mark. Everything you got pregnant kind of soon. Um, you know what? What would people? What would people say to you? What would providers say to you? about like really more in depth of what they would say to you about this? Um, did, they, did they place doubt? Did they encourage? I mean, seems like overall pretty dang supportive. Um, so yeah, so we changed providers. So the only provider I encountered was our new provider with the spacing. The people we encountered, there's a lot of negativity and like family members and people were very nervous about, you know, something happening and me not thinking about my body and taking care of myself and mm-hmm. um, things like that. Our provider was like totally on board. Okay. Um, our provider awesome. was like, I was very nervous. Like that first appointment, I really was planning on going in and her making the decision and her saying, you're going to either have to have to cesarean or you can try for VBAC. Like I figured she would tell me, you know, 
one or the other. And I walked in and she totally just puts the ball in your court. And she says, it's up to you. I'm going to give you the stats. I'm going to give you both sides. And she does not put anything. I mean, it's just literal stats. It's something you can look up online. Yeah. And um, she was super supportive. And she, I mean, I was nervous to say my son was born last July. You know, like I just had a baby. But she was like, that's not a big deal. She said the time difference in your babies is not the issue. She said it's if you have like complications in this pregnancy that might mm-hmm. pose an issue f- to have a VBAC. So she was like, there's not really like the time difference. Like, yeah, maybe waiting a little bit longer could help you. But she said 14 months is not a huge deal at all. Whereas if I would have gone to another provider, I don't think that would have been what I would have heard. So yes. And that is what we're finding. Right. So I always want to know what provide, like I always ask people what their, their providers say, just because it it's, it's so different and it's dramatically different. Yes. And that's, what's kind of interesting to me about yeah. everything. And there are, there are studies, there's research, all these things, you know, but some providers will say, Oh, you need to have a, you know, you can't get pregnant or whatever. That needs to be like a 24 month gap. Some it's 18 months, some it's 12 months, some it's 15 months. Like it just, Mm -hmm. it, it varies so, so dramatically. And so, and you know, and there are studies that show that really, really close intervals, like six months or something, you know, it, it increases chance of uterine rupture because we don't have a cesarean scar that, is completely healed. It takes our body time to heal, right? Yeah. Um, but some tips to give to you right after pregnancy is eating well. Eating yes. well. High protein, really good nutrients. Feed your body all that it needs so it can do its job and recover quicker. Yes. Um, but it's just so interesting to always hear, you know, we 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 have a mom that uh reached out, I don't know, it was probably a couple weeks ago. And she said, I, I'm 20 months, you know, I'm 20 months out. And my provider said, no, I can't because I'm not 24 months. And they, they pretty much told her like, you know, you're, you're going to have a uterine rupture. And she's like, is this true? What? Can no. I point, you know, and it's like, no, it's not. And, and we have a blog about getting pregnant after a cesarean. Um, and how long should you wait? So be sure to check that out. We'll be in today's show notes. Um, or just at the vbacklink.com slash blog, but it isn't a guarantee. It isn't something, I mean, here's your provider is like, eh, I'm not really worried about it. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, do you feel comfortable sharing with the audience, your provider's name? Uh, sure. Um, she is actually not an OB. <laughs> she, she's a fam- is she family? She's family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and she delivers babies all the time. She actually has lots of experience with VBAC mamas. Like a lot of people go to her. Marsha Daniel at um, UAB in Huntsville. Awesome. Awesome. So again, like if you're listening out and you want to, you know, explore your options, there's someone to check out. We always love um, suggesting providers and we have, we have a list um, in our private VBAC link community on Facebook. We have a list under the file section of providers all over the world that people have said. So we'll make sure to get her added to that list. Yes. And yeah, if you're listening and you're looking for a supportive provider that maybe, you know, is more accepting of birth and uh, you want to check her out, check her out. Yeah. 
Okay. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for having me on. Interested in sharing your VBAC story on the podcast? Submit your story at the vbaclink.com slash share. For information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to thevbaclink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.